You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. As you are aware, FBI personnel, in coordination with our partners at National Park Service, the Forest Service, Teton County Sheriff's Office, and Jackson Police Department, have been conducting an investigative activity in the vicinity of the Spread Creek um, dispersed camping area. Earlier today, human remains were discovered, consistent with the description of Gabrielle Gabby Petito. Full forensic identification has not been completed to confirm 100% that we found Gabby, but her family has been notified of this discovery. It's so terribly sad. Has not been determined at this time. But not all that surprising, right? As you heard this tragic news, the authorities saying they found the human remains that they believe to be that of Gabrielle Petito, the 22 year old. Uh, She's gone. He's. I, I, well, I don't know quite how to characterize it. I think I would say that he's on the run. Uh, he has he has vanished. How's that? He has vanished uh, with a lot of presumption now or shade being cast in his direction. That was Charles D- Jones, an FBI agent, explaining what was known, at least that which could be publicly revealed. So Brian Laundry, the 23-year-old, is now identified as a person of interest. You'll recall, of course, and we talked about this when we were last together, that through a lawyer, he had declined to speak with investigators when his parents told the police that he, too, was now missing. A search for him began that included scouring a vast Florida wildlife refuge, but nothing further is known. Meanwhile, FBI agents and National Park Rangers over the weekend were searching for Petito in Wyoming, the last known whereabouts, this 24,000 acre park in Sarasota County called the Carlton Reserve. I know you know the timeline. September 1, he returns to the home in Northport, Florida, where he'd lived with his parents and with her. He's now driving the white van that the couple had used for the trip that had been registered to her. Ten days later, she's reported missing by her parents. That was on September 11. And all the while, they had been depicting this very happy, extravagant, exotic, loving existence, I should say nomadic as well, uh, of van life in the American West. They'd posted photographs and cheerful updates on Instagram and YouTube and had outfitted the van with a bed and a tiny set of bookcases and plants and arts and so on and so forth. And I have to give some credit to TC, TC, because you on Friday 
uh, said to me, and I think you initially said to me during a commercial break, you know, look at the the sort of the contrast between what we think we now know of their life together and the way in which it was being depicted in social media. That's what you said, right? Well, yeah, it was it was so obvious because while we were on commercial break, it was playing on a loop those incredible pictures of that I see from other people on Instagram, you know, beautiful scenes of the Southwest and they're outside and they're all and then you you know that's not how their life really was because now this horrible story was unfolding. Of course, we didn't know what the ultimate outcome would be, but it's never good when someone goes missing and someone won't talk, right? So yeah, I, I sort of made a, a half mention to you and all of a sudden I could see the wheels turning in your head and look what well, it turned the into. Wheels, the wheels were turning in my head and then I mentioned this whole idea to a CNN colleague of ours and I'll give him a shout out because I thought he did terrific work, David Handelman then heard me out on the connection that I was drawing because I had just had here on POTUS Jeff Horwitz. I must say, the Wall Street Journal, where Jeff Horwitz is a technology reporter, all last week had tremendous investigative pieces about social media, Facebook and Instagram in particular. So what what wheels were spinning in my head were the lessons of Jeff Horwitz's reporting showing that Facebook, which owns Instagram, has a problem and they know it and really haven't done much of anything about it. And the problem very simply defined is the harmful impact on particularly young women, on young people generally, but particularly on young women. And so that was the idea for a commentary that I delivered on CNN on Saturday that I thought, and yes, with some humility, because believe me, plenty of times when I leave the radio or television airwaves, I'm disappointed in the content that I've generated, but not Saturday. I, I, was, I was really proud of the commentary on Saturday that linked together the reporting from the Wall Street Journal and the contrast between what was being shown by Gabby Petito when she was among us and that which came to light thereafter. Along the way, I had Jeff Horowitz on the program and I also had Gene Twangy on the program. Gene Twangy, of course, has been a guest here on POTUS of mine many, many times. She is the San Diego uh, psychologist who wrote that tremendous book called iGen. So let me look at some notes from Saturday because then I want to bring it full circle with a piece that's posted at Smirconish.com today from The Atlantic, Derek Thompson, who's also been a guest here. My God, everybody's been a guest on this program, and we're grateful for that. So what I said was this, that one of the stories that The Wall Street Journal published at the end of last week was one that focused on how Instagram, the app, is harmful to the mental health of teenage girls. And the journal, and maybe you heard Jeff Horowitz explain this to us on POTUS, the journal reports that Facebook has known for quite some time, based on in-house focus groups that they've run and surveys that they've commissioned and diary studies, they've known about this and have been studying it for at least the last three years. Among the findings that the journal reported from internal company documents and slide presentations that have been given to their senior leadership, 32% of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. One in five teens say that Instagram makes them feel worse about themselves. And among teens who have reported suicidal thoughts, 
13% of British users, 6% of American users trace the desire to kill themselves to Instagram. Now, you might say, "Mm, okay, I mean, it's alarming, right? 1% is too many. But, you know, come on, Michael, it's 13% of British users, only 6% of American users. Okay, you've got to think about this in terms of uh, economies of scale, because these statistics are even more alarming when you comprehend the number of users involved. I didn't recognize the popularity of Instagram in comparison to Facebook among the youth until I read the Wall Street Journal. More than 40% of Instagram's users are 22 years old and younger. About 22 million American teens use Instagram every day. That's compared with 5 million who use Facebook. Okay, so like four times as many are using Instagram as use Facebook. And of course, Dr. Twangy's research has shown, I don't think I need to say correlation anymore, but you know whether you call it correlation or causation, what she has shown is that young Americans today are experiencing significantly more mental health problems than did their parents. She also has been able to document how it seems to coincide these steep declines, I should say steep increases in mental health problems, steep declines in teens hanging out with their friends, teens dating, teens having sex. And you might think initially, well, why is it a bad thing that teens are having less sex? They're just not having real social interaction. What they're doing is they're, they're leading these lives in a means that they can present or project uh, a very healthy and uplifting experience when in fact that doesn't mirror the truth here's dr here's dr twangy's research rates of teen depression and suicide have skyrocketed since 2011 it's not an exaggeration she says to describe iGen as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades much of this deterioration can be traced to their phones why because 2011 2012 was the year or the time period in which a majority now had smartphones. She cites a survey funded by the National Institute on Drug Abuse that found 8th graders who are heavy users of social media increased their risk of depression by 27%. In 2014, there was another pair of studies in the Journal of Social and Clinical Psychology that concluded this. Spending more time on Facebook and or viewing Facebook more frequently provides people with the opportunity to spontaneously engage in Facebook social comparisons, which in turn is associated with greater depressive symptoms. So, as I said on television this weekend, you know, I am a product, maybe you are a product of an era where, yes, you compared yourself to your contemporaries, but your contemporaries were limited to homeroom or your class at large. The thing about Instagram now is that Instagram allows for instantaneous comparison to the whole planet. And so, you know, those who are feeling poor about themselves feel a hell of a lot worse. It used to be you were in homeroom and, you know, you wished you were as handsome as he was or as smart as she was, but the the universe was limited. Now it's worldwide. And into the mix then comes... Gabby Petito. And you look at those images that Gabby Petito and her fiance were posting in the van, outside the van, all over the country, Golden Gate Bridge, 
uh, in the gorgeous, you know, western part of the United States, et cetera, et cetera. And you you can easily understand how people might look at them, 22 and 23-year-old couple, young women might look at her and think, wow, man, that's the life I wish I were leading. Which is in stark contrast to what we then show from this police body cam footage on August the 12th. They were in Moab, Utah. When law enforcement respond to, it was a report actually of disorderly conduct. And I am sure that you have seen the video uh, where they were engaged in some sort of altercation. She tells the officer that they were fighting over personal issues. She attributed it to her OCD and said that it all started when uh, one of them, I guess he had climbed into the van with dirty feet. You know, it's a domestic squabble. And they were at odds. And the police report says, quote, both the male and female reported they're in love. They're engaged to be married. They desperately don't want to see anybody charged with a crime. At the officer's suggestion, they separated for the night. The report also said that uh, she was viewed by the officer as being confused and emotional as well as manic. The officer then wrote in his report, after evaluating the totality of the circumstances, I do not believe the situation escalated to the level of a domestic assault as much as that of a mental health crisis, and no charges were no charges were filed. At least this much, I guess, is what I'm trying to say can be certain, and that is that the the picture that was painted by the couple in social media was not the whole story. And the dissonance between the happy videos and the pictures and the actual experience of life on the road, it couldn't have been healthy for this couple. And what struck me and what TC was on to, I think, last Friday when we were together, was that if she hadn't disappeared and the police video not having come to light, and, you know, we wish that she were with us, but hers was just the sort of social media that would have caused others to be envious of the life that she seemed to be leading. That's the observation. Larry Kane was was my my mentor. I mean, the guy who really put me on a path toward being in talk radio and later on television. He, he is a wonderful guy and, and remains a media presence. He was, you know, the dominant local network personality in Philadelphia when I was being raised and throughout, you know, much of my adult life and worked at all three local network affiliates, ABC, CBS and and NBC. He reached out for me on Saturday and said, you got to stick with this because this linkage between mental health issues and reliance on social media, particularly among young Americans, is the issue of our time. He was actually encouraging me to to pitch a, a CNN special on the subject that I may I might pursue his idea. Along then came, this is interesting, along then came a piece of audio from the guy who runs uh, Instagram. Moseri is his name. And a number of people were starting to make tobacco analogies. Like, hey, social media is both addictive and harmful. And the head of Instagram responded to that with an analogy of his own. His was cars. Listen to this. I think that... Anything that is going to be used at scale is going to have positive and negative outcomes. Cars have positive and negative outcomes. We understand that. We know that more people die than would otherwise because of car accidents. But by and large, cars create way more value in the world than they destroy. And I think social media is similar. 
That's Adam Mosseri. He's the head of Instagram. He seems to be saying what I hear him say is that the ends justify the means. Like, yeah, but there's a lot of benefit in cars. So if we, we lose some folks along the way, at least we're all still driving. I, I'm wondering what analogy, if anything, you think applies. Social media and what? Automobiles? Because that's the argument from Instagram. Or is it social media is both addictive and harmful and therefore it's a tobacco analogy? Or is it a booze analogy? Derek Thompson, who's been a guest on this program, writes a piece for Atlantic that's posted on my website right now under the headline, Social Media is Attention Alcohol. He, too, has been paying very close attention to the Wall Street Journal's reporting, makes note of the fact that there was a 2019 presentation shown to the upper echelon at Instagram, quote, we make body image issues worse For one in three teen girls, teens who struggle with mental health say Instagram makes it worse. And then in this piece in The Atlantic, he has a summary of Instagram, quote, so a fair summary of Instagram, according to Instagram, might go like this. Here's a fun product that millions of people seem to love that is unwholesome in large doses that makes a sizable minority feel more anxious, more depressed, and worse about their bodies, and that many people struggle to use in moderation. What does that sound like to you? To me, it sounds like alcohol, he writes. A social lubricant that can be delightful, but also depressing. A popular experience that blends short-term euphoria with long-term regret, a product that leads to painful and even addictive behavior among a significant minority, like booze, social media seems to offer an intoxicating cocktail of dopamine, disorientation, and for some, dependency. Call it attention alcohol. He further explains, Derek Thompson, that he's not into Instagram, but he is into Twitter, and the Twitter for him is like wine and whiskey. Other analogies fall short. Some people liken social media to junk food, but ultra-processed snacks have few redeemable health qualities compared with just about every natural alternative. I have a more complicated relationship with Twitter. It makes my life better and more interesting. It connects me with writers and thinkers whom I would never otherwise reach, but some days my attention will get caught in the slipstream of gotchas, dunks, and nonsense controversies. He then quotes Andrew Bosworth. Andrew Bosworth is a long-term Facebook executive who wrote a memo in 2019 saying that he, Bosworth, on behalf of Facebook, finds it wildly offensive that anyone would compare alcohol to social media. He says that's wildly offensive not just to him but to addicts. I've seen family members struggle with alcoholism and classmates struggle with opioids. I know there's a battle for the terminology of addiction, but I side firmly with the neuroscientists. Still, while Facebook may not be nicotine, I think it is probably like sugar. Sugar's delicious for most of us. There's a special place in our lives, but like all things, it benefits from moderation. I hope you're into this. I just thought it was a very interesting conversation to begin the new week together in the aftermath sadly now of this young woman being confirmed dead social media what's it most like is it most like booze is it most like sugar is it most like tobacco is it unlike all of the above 
And what about the connection that I'm making to this case? I must say, I ran it by Dr. Twangy, the author of iGen, and I, well, I think I, in this clip, you have both my question and her response. See if you agree with this. Do you buy into the linkage that I put between this case that has fixated the nation, where we're all watching on a, on a loop these videos of this, you know, your best life being lived. You look at this, this handsome young couple on an, this exotic trip, and then you realize, wait a minute, the way in which they presented themselves through social media is not the reality, at least according to that police video. Is, is that what you are capturing in iGen? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the key issues with social media is that at base, it's not honest. It's people putting forth a very unrealistic picture of their lives. Um, On Instagram in particular, it's filled with beautiful pictures of beautiful bodies, um, often Photoshop, and it creates this very unrealistic picture of what your body's supposed to look like, what your life is supposed to look like, and that is a very difficult thing, especially when you're a teenager, even when you're an adult, even if you know on an intellectual level that this is happening, it kind of gets you emotionally, gets you in the gut when you think everybody else is always on vacation, everybody else always looks glamorous all the time, when that's not actually reality, that's just the way it's portrayed on social media. Derek Thompson in The Atlantic concludes his piece by saying this, how do we fix it? How should we learn from alcohol, which is studied, labeled, taxed, and restricted? Similar strictures would discourage social media abuse among teenagers, We should continue to study exactly how and for whom these apps are psychologically ruinous and respond directly to the consensus reached by that research. Governments should urge or require companies to build more in-app tools to discourage overuse. Instagram and other app makers should strongly consider raising their minimum age for getting an account and preventing young users from presenting fake birth dates. And finally, and more broadly, parents, teens, and the press should continue to build a common vocabulary and set of rules around the dangers of excess social media for its most vulnerable users. I had a survey question over the weekend that asked whether all of this information, internal documents from Facebook showing what they know about their platform, Instagram, and the link to mental health, particularly among younger women, whether this is going to diminish the popularity of social media, in particular Instagram. 14,283 people cast ballots uh, over the weekend on this question. Will concerns about Instagram's impact on mental health diminish its popularity? Sad to say, 85% and change said no. Do you see the connection that I'm making to the Petito case? I'm, I'm not saying this is what caused her death. Don't misunderstand that. Uh, I'm, I'm not going anywhere near that. I'm just saying real life for this couple seems a lot different than the way that their lives were being presented in social media. And I think that goes for a heck of a lot of us. I mean, I've got to play this game on a different level because of what I do for a living. But, you know, look in my feed. Uh, you're going to look at all my garden reports from throughout the course of the summer. And although I try and tell you about things that don't go well, by and large, you're looking at some pretty damn big tomatoes. The big successes are the ones that I want to tout the most as I'm telling you about my growing experiences, and I guess that, in a nutshell, is what I'm saying about this particular case. 
Call me. React to this, particularly if you have kids. I mean, I, 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 I'm really concerned about it. Ours are a bit older. I'd be even more concerned if they were younger and dependent upon some of these social media outlets. I'm at 855-486-1776. As I say, a pretty predictable outcome given the way this case was going, but nonetheless, terribly, terribly sad. The Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost.